You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. Yeah, it's it was insane. Like I never pictured I could be riding, you know, four feet of pow in China, and it was just it was just so epic. Um, but kind of crazy out there the way they do things. Like we were doing, we had jumped through this ring of fire. There was like it's like a fifty foot jump, and they had this big, probably like fifteen foot wide um, steel circle that they had wrapped with rope and soaked in kerosene <laughs> and they lit it on fire and we were jumping through it for this Chinese uh, television series on CCTV out there and they were lighting off you know fourth of July style fireworks on each side of the ring we we're all going through it ten of us following each other through it and it was like super unsafe but um, <laughs> really really cool experience for sure funny story about that like we uh a few years ago it was a big uh snowboard um video premiere that a bunch of our buddies had worked super hard on and we're in um it was premiering in minneapolis uh it was called the 1817 movie it was an awesome snowboard video that they worked super hard on for a couple years and we're at this theater in minneapolis and, and there's probably i don't know maybe 150 people there um and we're, we're sitting down and all of a sudden we looked like we're sitting in the front two rows and we like didn't mean to do it and we look and like literally there was 20 of us and we all you know steelhead fish together um <laughs> we're like wow it's funny how all this these two rows fish huh welcome to the fly fishing 97 podcast featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry we focus on guides conservation resort managers gear and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers the fly fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by the fly crate the flycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing the fly crate offers a monthly fly club we select patterns every month for your home waters with membership you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area along with the fly crates guide magazine the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door some sweet stickers discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now theflycrate.com here's your host mark hopley Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Thanks so much. Stoked you chose to join us this time around. And we're going to take you out to Minneapolis, Minnesota. We've got Josh Besser on the line. Now, Josh, has a, he's a guide. He uh, ties flies commercially. He's an avid fly fisher. He has Larry the Lunker. Pretty sweet uh, swag, some caps, tees, uh, sweatshirts, button-up shirts. We'll talk all about that. He was a big-time snowboarder as well and still is, and uh, we'll get into his snowboarding career, his uh, fly tying and, and uh, guiding. Josh, thanks for coming on the podcast tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mark. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked you chose to, uh, to come on, and, and uh, I'm really looking forward to kind of finding out about your, your snowboarding career, your fly fishing career. We'll, we'll go down all those roads, but let's, let's take it back to square one. You're obviously a big outdoor, outdoor enthusiast. Um, yep. Talk to me about fly fishing and where you first found it. Um, well, I've been fishing all my life. Uh you know, since I can remember. Um, but I really started fly fishing. Um, I think it was in 2013. Um, I had moved from Minneapolis out to, uh, Colorado and I was living in, um, the Breckenridge, um, area at the time. Um, or Silverthorne, Colorado. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and I worked at a bakery called uh, Blue Moon Bakery out there, and it's it was right next door to uh, the Colorado Angler. Um, so right on the Blue River in uh, Silverthorne, Colorado, and I worked there for a year and a half, right right next door to a fly shop, and was always kind of intrigued um, with it. And I saw the owner and the guides, you know, come through the bakery all the time because they'd get their their lunches for their trips every day through us. Um, so I just started talking about it with them and um, kind of got into it from there because um, we were, you know, only a half mile from the, the Blue River right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually had a bunch of snowboarding buddies that were super into it. And I had a few buddies that were guiding at the time. Um, so I kind of learned the ropes from them. Um, my buddy Keegan Axel, he guided for Vail Valley Anglers. Um, so he really taught me a lot. He uh, he had a raft and, and we used to float to Colorado all the time and the lower blue. And he really showed me the, the ropes of um, anything from rowing the river to fly fishing techniques um and tying my first fly was you know he helped me out with that so that's really where it all started that's cool and and so other than keegan would there be you know other buddies or other people that have influenced you as far as your your learning curve and this keep in mind josh this doesn't have to be somebody you even know it could be somebody that you uh you followed on instagram or or, or youtube but if you had to cite some some other influences could you do that yeah, I would say my, you know, the biggest, my, I'm the biggest fan of Joe Humphreys. Mm. Um, watching that guy's, um, you know, videos and, and him doing the, the bow and arrow cast and all that, I just thought that was so cool. So I'm a huge fan of him yeah, and his stuff. Great. I always kind of looked up to him like he's the coolest, you know, grandpa in the world. Um <laughs> Yeah, my buddy Colin Hill, he worked at the at the Colorado Angler. He still does. He guides for them. Um, I knew him from snowboarding, um, so he's helped me out a lot when I was starting out. Um, and then uh, I had a buddy that I actually went to high school with um, who lives out there, and he coaches skiing. Um, and he uh, was super into fly fishing and taught me a bunch, too, out there. His name's Willis uh, Inglehart. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, super, super cool dude. And then also... Uh, my buddy Lance Pareto, I lived with him in, in Steamboat Springs when I first moved to Colorado. Um, and he and his father-in-law, Steve Sabiniak, actually opened up a fly shop a few years ago in Lanesboro, Minnesota. Okay. Uh, which is south southeast Minnesota in the Driftless area. They're on the Root River down there. And uh, Steve, um, his father-in-law, builds bamboo fly rods down there. And that's... He's just taught me so much. Both those guys have um, been really great. Well, let, let's take it back. I mean, I think I got a feeling now for uh, kind of how you came to the water, how you found it. But let's start, let's go to the, the you know, a little further up the mountain, if you will. Let's talk about your your sure. snowboarding career. So I know your mid-20s or your, your 20s in general, were, sounds like they were spent traveling all around the world snowboarding for, for Nightmare. And obviously you're yeah. based in, in, in Colorado. Talk to me about snowboarding, how that, how that career took off for you and, and where it took you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I started snowboarding when I was six years old. Um, my mom got me a snowboard for Christmas. Um, I, I grew up riding at Highland Hills. It's in Bloomington, Minnesota. So just a suburb of Minneapolis, this little tiny hill. Um, but yeah, I just got, we have tow ropes out here and 
you can basically do, you know, 30 laps in about five minutes. It's just nonstop. Um, they just rip you up to the top of the hill. You go down and there's a bunch of, we basically had, you know, a bunch of rails that we grew up riding on. Um, and when I graduated high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do and, uh, kind of wanted to do the ski bum thing and also go to college at the same time. So I did that and moved to steamboat and, uh, just, it's all about who, you know, um, you know, met, meets, I met so many people through snowboarding and just with my connections, ended up getting sponsored after being in Colorado for a few years, mm-hmm. um, and started writing for nightmare. Um, they were in Silverthorne, Colorado at the time and built, built other boards in house in a factory there. Um, and actually met them, uh, at a party cause they had a, a little mini half pipe in their warehouse and they used to have little skate nights and I met them there skateboarding and started riding for them on snowboards shortly thereafter. And it's really kind of brought me all around the world since then. Um, we filmed probably, I don't know. I've, I've filmed probably six or seven, you know, snowboard videos in the last 10 years. Um, as a, basically we just go out and hit street stuff. Um, so handrails, riding rails, that sort of thing. Right. Um, I, I did a few contests. Um, I got to do the do tour, um, street, uh, rail jam in Breckenridge one year. That was really fun. Um, but yeah, I just got to travel all around with it and snowboard with my buddies. It was really, really an awesome run. I still do it. Um, but it brought me, I got to go to China a few years back, um, for a month and that was pretty insane. Hmm. Um, snowboarding out there. Uh, yeah, they actually have really good snow out there because they get the same storms as uh, Japan does. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's pretty cool. But yeah, that was that was probably my favorite trip ever was being able to go snowboard in China for a month. And it, it amazes me how how epic snow can be in some of these countries that we have no clue. You know, like I mean, there's a lot to, more to it than just North America and, and, and the Alps. Yeah. It's, it was insane. Like I never pictured I could be riding, you know, four feet of pow in China and it would just, it was just so epic. Um, but kind of crazy out there the way they do things like we were doing, we had jumped through this ring of fire. There was like, it's like a 50 foot jump and they had this big, probably like 15 foot wide, um, steel circle that they had wrapped with rope and soaked in kerosene. <laughs> And they lit it on fire, and we were jumping through it for this Chinese uh, television series on CCTV out there. And they were lighting off, you know, Fourth of July-style fireworks on each side of the ring. We were all going through it, ten of us following each other through it. And it was, like, super unsafe, but uh, <laughs> really, really cool experience for sure uh, so you, going you go, out there and do that. You, you go all the way to China to jump through burning rings of fire. Okay. That's uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was as crazy as it sounds. It's kind of, yeah. you know, well, like, enough, cool experience. So as far as, uh, I mean, maybe walk us through your career. Like, are you now removed from the, from the snowboard scene other than recreationally, or is it something that you still do a lot today or, um, I actually went today for my first time nice. this year. Um, I still, I coach snowboarding. Um, I have a couple kids that compete in the contest series here in the Midwest or that actually throughout all, all throughout the U S um, it's called the USASA. Um, I coach some kids who do those contests 
And if they place in a few of them um, during the year, then they get to go to the Nationals, which is usually at Copper Mountain. Okay. Uh, but I coach a couple of those kids just, you know, on the side for fun, um, which is which is pretty fun. Um, they really get me to come out of my comfort zone because I've been getting a little lazier when it comes to snowboarding as I'm getting older. Um, and they get me to, you know, they want to learn something. They get me to try something I haven't done in forever. And it's, it's kind of fun. keeps me on my toes. Yeah, good stuff. Um, but I, I don't film or compete anymore, really. Just kind of do it for fun and helping out the kids now. Well, you talk about, like, sports or pastimes that give you kind of complimentary seasons, and, and, and fly fishing and boarding have got to be perfect. I mean, it, it, you know, the seasons don't overlap that much, do they? No, not not necessarily. No, it's it's kind of crazy, too. I don't know what it is, but, like, the majority of my friends who snowboard also fly fish now. And so we've all, like, we've all known each other from snowboarding for years, and then all of a sudden we all are just like, yeah, we really all love fly fishing, and then we fly fish together. It's, um, funny, so it's pretty you, awesome. funny you said that, Josh, because that's, that was a theme on this show. When I first started it, I was getting a lot of climbers and, and snowboarders and it's surfers. It seemed to be, this, it was the same kind of crowd. And that was kind of like, I mean, 25 years ago, those guys and gals weren't fly fishing. At least if they were, they weren't talking about it. And it's like, yeah. it's that whole kind of the mountain bike kind of uh it's just an outdoor space now and it's i there's a lot of overlap and i think it's you know we got to embrace that and especially when you can find a way to be in the great outdoors year round why not right yeah it's it's the best a funny story about that like we uh a few years ago it was a big uh snowboard um video premiere that a bunch of our buddies had worked super hard on and we're in um it was premiering in minneapolis uh it's called the 1817 movie it was awesome snowboard video that they worked super hard on for a couple of years and we're at this theater in minneapolis and there's probably i don't know maybe 150 people there um and we're, we're sitting down and all of a sudden we look like we're sitting in the front two rows and we like didn't mean to do it and we look and like literally there was 20 of us and we all you know steelhead fish together um <laughs> we're like wow it's funny how all this these two rows fish huh <laughs> just like Funny, funny how it happened like yeah yeah right on well hey, i, I want to take some time to get to know you in and around uh minneapolis and, and kind of your tendencies kind of what you're up to you, you ready for a few random questions yeah absolutely go ahead let's talk tunes when you're on your way to the water whether you're guiding or spending some personal time um you're driving in your truck what do you got playing um i listen to a lot of a lot of country um I like Cody Jenks a lot, Chris Stapleton, mm-hmm. uh, Tyler Childers. Those are probably my top three right now that I really like. Um, Luke Combs. Yeah. Uh, He's got an amazing usually, voice, doesn't he? Yeah. That's just pure. Yeah, it's just incredible. Yeah. Um, one go-to fly pattern that you cannot live without. So if, if you are on your favorite stretch of river or still water, wherever you happen to be, um, when you're reaching into your fly box, is there a kind of common denominator? Is there something you reach for more than anything else? I guess it depends on the species because we, we fish so many species here in Minnesota. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I think my Go ahead. favorite, all-time favorite fly kind of for anything would just be 
like a jig head, uh, flashback pheasant tail, mm. um, pretty, with like a slotted tungsten bead on it. Pretty versatile, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What uh, what color body? Um, I've been tying uh, just natural, um, but I also found some like purple uh, peacock curl that I've found works really well. Um, with those and actually caught my first king salmon um, with one of those hmm. which was pretty cool purple that's a go-to color for me in just about any species something about purple black and purple i don't know yeah purple bugs i love tying purple stone flies for steelhead that's yeah well they say the it's on the uv spectrum it's one of the it's one of the easy ones for trout to spot apparently yeah, yeah. They, they look awesome so let's let's talk sports teams now. Are you a Vikings guy? Are you a Twins? Um, you know, who, who do you follow yeah. in the world of sports? Yeah, I'm definitely a Vikings fan um, since day one. Even though we lose a lot, <laughs> still rooting for them. Um, I actually in uh, middle school uh, when I was in eighth grade. Uh, couple of my classmates were um, one was a son and the other one was a nephew of Mike Tice, who was the head coach of the Vikings football team at the time. Yeah. And he was our coach for eighth grade football as well. So that was a super fun experience. I got to practice at like the Vikings um, facility and meet Vikings players and our, the head coach for the Vikings was our coach for, you know, little league football. Wow. Um, which was pretty neat. Yeah, it was, it was fun. It was a really fun time. I would imagine he probably have to change his mentality a little bit from dealing with grown adults. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, he was definitely football or whatever we're talking here. Yeah, I was a little scared of him, you know. He was a big <laughs> dude. But he he knew his stuff, and it was you know an unforgettable experience for sure. Um, but I follow hockey a lot too. I like uh, the Wild and yeah, Vancouver Canucks. Actually, believe it or not, my wow. second cousin plays for them. Um, Brock, Brock Besser. Yep, that's my that's my dad's fun. cousin. His son. So. It's funny you said that because when you when you said how your name was pronounced, I I'm, that's the first person I thought of. But it, it's funny, a eh? small small world. Yeah, ever since he went pro a few years ago, mm-hmm. like I was in the airport in L.A. Like no one ever pronounces my name right. It's always Bozer, or Boozer, or whatever. Um, and I was at the airport and I was like late for the flight, and the person was like actually pronounced my name right and i was like how'd you know how to pronounce my name he goes oh the hockey player brock besser I was like, oh nice <laughs> well he's been lighting it up out here on the west coast for for a while he's uh pretty pretty lucky yeah. to have him as part of that club for sure yeah he's crazy good at hockey it's cool to see yeah well you know what and minnesota is such a hotbed for hockey it, it really is it's it's religion i mean it's a lot like in you know north of the border yeah you think for for being the state of hockey they would have a Stanley Cup under our belts, yeah, but uh, you'll get one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so um, well, that's interesting. Uh, six degrees of separation for sure. So, um, biggest lesson that you've learned in your fly fishing journey. So, if you had a single takeaway, um, as far as you know, lessons learned from the water, what would that be? Um, biggest lesson I've ever been able to really take away. Um, from fly fishing, I would have to say probably just patience, um, and persistence, like do pay off, um, you know, never give up on something you're, you're super frustrated at. 
Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I've had really been shown through fly fishing, especially steelhead fishing, just grinding out long days and you feel like you're doing it wrong. But if you just kind of like the definition of insanity, you know, if you keep trying the same thing over and over and expecting a different result, well, eventually you get that result and it's, it's pretty epic. It makes it more, uh, worthwhile. I feel like in the end. And what a difference one cast can make, you know, to your whole, to your whole outlook. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Insane. What are you working um, on there? What are you drinking? I'm drinking right now a hard seltzer from Fulton Brewery in Minneapolis. It's a Ooh. blood orange one. It's pretty good. I got a, I got a virgin Caesar on the go. I don't, you know what a Caesar is? No, what's that? <laughs> I didn't think you would. It's very Canadian. It's basically this will sound weird, but it's uh, it's it's basically like Worcestershire sauce, uh, clamato. And usually, uh, you put like a salted rim, stick a celery in there. <laughs> it's like and uh, vodka. So Although it's it is, like, go it's ahead. like Bloody Mary. Yeah, it's it's very similar to a Bloody Mary. Yeah, yeah. It's a little. It's a well. It's a hell of a lot spicier. Um, but I uh, when I'm trying not to drink too much alcohol in the week, I uh, I, I I gravitate to the the virgin version so um oh at least that's the story <laughs> no it is but uh yeah it's got i'm i can never get enough salt i'm a bit of a problem with salt but anyway. yeah my my virgin my virgin drink of choice is um ginger beers oh yeah yeah those are super tasty yeah it's it's funny you know it's um i i tried drinking all these non-alcoholic beers i really haven't found any that i really like i mean there's I don't know. If I'm going to drink beer, I'm going to drink beer. But uh Yeah. Yeah, they're kind of weird, but uh Yeah. No, I know ginger beer is good. I have had a, a few of those for sure. Um favorite place to talk fly fishing. So is there a um a coffee shop, a fly shop? Is there somewhere in and around the Minneapolis area you get your fix on fishing when you're not fishing? Uh yeah, I mean recently with the COVID stuff, um uh, I tie flies a lot and FaceTime my buddy, one of my best buddies, Vinny. We FaceTime all the time while we're tying, um, you know, multiple times a week and catch up and talk fishing, um, which is awesome. It's super fun. Um, and also when I make it down there, cause the fly shop that I guide for, um, super part time, just kind of fill in for the root river Rodco in Lanesboro. It's, it's about two and a half hours from my house. Um, but I usually make like a weekend out of it and stay at stay at my buddy's house down there. And I love hanging out in the shop and tying flies and, you know, chilling. It's it's a good spot when I can make it down there. Fill in the blank for me, Josh. When you're not fly fishing, you're usually doing what? Uh, probably hanging out with my dog or snowboarding or skateboarding. What kind of dog uh, you got? He's a silver lab. He's six months old. Um, a little charcoal kind of silver color. Yeah, um, cool. He's a handful. Keeps me busy. <laughs> What's his name again? His name's Ollie. Ollie. All right. Was he, he, Ollie was chewing on a duck before we started going here. He's uh, he's he's quiet all of a sudden back there. He's he's since retired the duck and he's sleeping right next to me on the couch. <laughs> It's funny because my guy just walked by a little while ago and kind of coughed up a hairball, but I, I don't know if that came through on the mic. Um, what kind of dog do you got? It's, uh, he's a, a Wheaton Terrier. Yeah, he's uh, he looks like a teddy bear. He's uh, Nice. Yeah, he's pretty cool. But um, 
best job you ever had? Are you doing it now, or was it maybe you know a combination of boarding and and what you're doing now? Talk to me about best work. Um, you know, I I bartended for the last ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't the best job, but it was the best schedule because I, you know, the last few years I was working at this big nightclub in downtown Minneapolis. Um, you know, three hundred people in there, kind of. DJ or live music, people dancing all night, high volume. And it was fun because the money was there and I only had to work Thursday, Friday, Saturday every week. Um for the and I didn't start until anywhere between like three or nine PM. So I got to fish or snowboard literally every day um of the week if I wanted to. Um what is your least favorite drink to make? My least favorite drink to make is probably anything that involves more than like three or four ingredients when you're super busy at the bar (laughs) so you know you'd have people coming up or actually i think my least favorite thing to make was if someone would come up by themselves and ordered one mixed shot and you're like i'm so busy right now you want me to make you one water moccasin (laughs) uh all right sure yeah i'll do that just give me a couple minutes here (laughs) <laughs> yeah do- it was it was fun though it's just i had to get out of it with covid um when that started and uh yeah just the money wasn't there we got shut down but i think my actual favorite job ever um is just coaching snowboarding i do that now still um yeah. coach a couple uh the local kids and they compete in the contest around here and that's it's pretty rewarding it's really fun we're chatting tonight with josh besser Josh is out of uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. He has a guide service, ties a lot of flies, avid fly fisher, has Larry the Lunker. Now let's talk about Larry the Lunker because I was checking out some of your shirts, some of your um, swag that you've got out there. Um, did you yeah. design the logo or did you have somebody do that for you? Um, actually, I actually had a buddy of mine do that for me. Um, I met him through the snowboard company Nightmare that I used to ride for. Um, he did some of our graphics for our snowboards, um, super talented guy. He's out of Denver and I just hit him up, um, uh, cause we've been friends for about six or seven years now and asked him if he could, uh, you know, do a, a fishing inspired logo for, for Larry the Lunker. And I sent him a picture of a steelhead and I, I told him kind of what I wanted, like kind of a, you know, a skatey version of you know, a cool steelhead, and I wanted the steelhead to be tying his fly in his own mouth. Um, so I sent him a picture of a bobbin, and like a day later, he just sends me that graphic. It's good. And I was kind of blown away. I was like, damn, dude, you killed it on this. This is awesome. So I think um, right now I'm actually just getting the website going and getting some shirts made, um, hoping to have those more live um, we can actually order them on the site. Yeah. Um, it's just been a side hustle. So I, I put as much time into it as I can, but it's a, it's been taking me a while to get that thing going. So it's amazing how time consuming that stuff is like looking after a site and, uh, getting it to the level you want it to be at. It's, it's all consuming. Yeah. It's, it takes a lot of time, but it's also like, it's super fun. I love it. It's like, you know, something fun to do and keep you busy. Um, and it's cool. Like I just got a bunch of the Larry Lunker stickers made. 
um, and they turned out awesome. It's just it's cool to see the stuff you know come out, and um, you worked really hard to get there, and it, it yeah. it's finally starts to happen. It's pretty cool. So what's the end game with Larry the Lunker? You, uh, I mean, you're gonna have some of your your pattern, your fly patterns on there. Are you looking at kind of going towards the uh, fly tackle, or are you just keeping it yeah gear? Yeah, eventually. Um, right now it's just gear and kind of guide service. Uh, I was selling flies when my bar shut down. I literally had you know a few weeks of no income before unemployment started kicking in, and I just started um selling flies on the etsy um yeah. and it was sweet i did it for a few weeks and um made some decent money at it but at the end of the day i was like glad i started getting other money coming in because it was like i don't even have enough flies ever for myself um and it's like i'm sitting here tying all day and it was like i don't know i, just, I don't think it's just i'm not really into uh tying commercially i don't think after doing it for a few weeks yeah, I think there's a real specific, you know, if you're doing specialty patterns or totally custom, it makes sense. But if, you, if you're trying to tie, like, um, 300 parachute atoms. <laughs> yeah, you're, you know, your back and your neck start cramping up. It's like, yeah, it's not the most fun thing. It's still sweet, but uh, you know, what I sold the most of were uh, Pertagons. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, people were loving those. I had people, like, randomly from all over the u.s ordering them so, so i don't so, think you get them in fly shops as often yeah some it's always some of those newer patterns and those are really big in in uh, in europe for quite a while but and then things tend to migrate but when if somebody say what sees on your instagram or um some fly patterns that they might want to get their hands on uh, first off what is your instagram handle and how do they get a hold of you um it's just at Larry the Lunker um, on Instagram, and I'm pretty good about checking messages. If anyone you know wants to get a hold of me um, right now, they could always send me a direct message. Um, I'm working on you know getting the website more up and running, so eventually you'll be able to contact me through there or email. But right now, it's basically just Instagram, and that's kind of how Larry the Lunker started. Really was. My snowboarding buddies were getting sick of me posting all these fishing pics <laughs> on my snowboarding page. And so I was like, I need to start like a fishing one. And we always called Fish Larry the Lunker. And I, I looked it up and no one had that name yet. So I was like, sweet. And it's been that for, you know, the last six, seven years now. So, Well, that's that's the nice thing about Instagram, too, is you can kind of craft it to what you want it to be you know what i mean like some some of the other social media it's like it's it's everything it's you and it's everything but you know with larry the lunker with your fishing page you can just uh, kind of hone that where you want to go yeah exactly so what have you got on there like i you got caps you got uh t-shirts what else have you got on there? yeah yeah i have a bunch of you know kind of sample stuff that i wanted to do like some, this cool, like button down kind of crew shirt, um, mm -hmm. stickers, uh, beanies, baseball hats, yeah. um, that sort of thing. One of the snowboard companies I used to ride for, um, it's called Hobo Headwear out of Denver. Mm -hmm. um, he does like the laser engraving on leather stuff, um, which is really neat. He can like laser engrave any logo or anything on the leather and make it into a patch, or he also does like the leather like chopper gloves and he'll put 
laser engraved logos on them and stuff. That's cool. Um, but he, he made me a bunch of patches, um, and I've sewed a few together. I haven't put them for sale yet, but like sewing them onto beanies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, just, just your basic apparel. I'd love to, uh, right now I just have the kind of two logos. Um, but I, I've been talking to Sam, the artist, Sam Pearson, um, about doing some more logos down the road and coming up with some new stuff too, and just making some apparel and having some fun with it. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. I can tell you're, you're kind of harnessing your, uh, your creative side on that for sure. And I think it's cool when you have a side hustle like that, that you can just kind of, you know, it's fun, right? And, and, and let's, it's a blast. Business should be fun. If you can make it fun, you're doing it right. Yeah. And if it turns into something that, you know, down the road that start making some money at, that's, that's awesome. If it doesn't, I'm still just doing it for fun. So let's take it back to the water, Josh. I, I want to yeah. find out about, your ideal day so as somebody that does have clients and you're out there guiding um or if you're having some personal time on the water if you can put together your dream day kind of paint us a picture what does that look like um it'd probably be steelhead fishing would for sure be steelhead fishing um in the spring uh or not in the spring in the fall is my favorite time steelhead fishing in the midwest on great lakes tributaries um we're just a big group of all my snowboarding buddies there's about like 15 of us um we all fish um the the brule river in wisconsin together and uh a dream day up there we have a buddy who owns some property on the river so we all camp there it's steelhead camp for us um you know just waking up with the boys uh walking right down to the river um and just fishing the river super hard all day um nymphing uh for steelhead and also swinging some flies um that'd Mm. be the most ideal day i would say we spend a lot of time up there in the fall and what's what's cool about the brule in the fall is it's a a lake superior tributary you get um big lake run brown trout um it's coho in there kings and also some really nice steelhead um so it's kind of fun you never know what you're gonna get in the fall up there it's 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 a blast so at the end of the day are we talking is there a big campfire going on here back at the cabin or uh something it's, warm to drink what's what's going on there yeah it's it's absolutely a huge fire um <laughs> it's it's a really good time our one buddy has a ice house yeah. Um, I could tell behind ice house. So he brings it up there and he's our, our source of heat. Not everyone can fit in there. I usually sleep in the truck, but, uh, he, uh, at least we can all hang our waders in there, um, where it's heated and get those dried out and, <laughs> and all that. So, and he actually, he's got the antenna. So we've been up there watching, you know, the Vikings Packers game one, one year while we're steelhead fishing in the middle of nowhere with no service. So it's, it's, it's <laughs> that's, fun. That's awesome. I love yeah. it. Oh boy, that's funny. Um, talk to me about the fishing that you do have. So, I mean, you were sitting on a pretty diverse fishery just outside of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Talk to me about the species that you're targeting primarily. Yeah, absolutely. It's I guess it depends on the time of year um, of, of what we're fishing for, really. Uh, I have a drift boat in the summers. Um, I, I guide super part-time for my buddy's shop at Root River Rodco down in Lanesboro. Um, 
there's the root river that flows through there and um, there's some big browns in there um, as well as smallmouth um, and we do drift boat floats down there mm-hmm. um, just super fun um, you can also fish you know anything in the drift list there's little brook trout streams and it's only you know one to two hours away from minneapolis which is awesome um there's little brook trout streams everywhere you could fish the lakes um, on the still water stuff for small smallmouth, largemouth bass um muskie pike panfish um kind of you name it um i fish the mississippi river a lot hmm. uh, um, the upper mississippi is like world-class smallmouth fishery really uh, it's epic and i hooked a muskie in there this summer um, which was pretty sweet wow but uh yeah it's it's awesome like you know 30 fish days of smallmouth out of the drift boat on the the upper mississippi um you know on, on poppers and topwater stuff it's really fun um and then we have steelhead you know we have the lake michigan tributaries at which i fished uh, last weekend which was really fun that's only about a five-hour drive um, and then it's about three hours to get to the Lake Superior ones and the whole North shore in the spring is just epic hmm. for fishing. It, it amazes me. Well, you, I mean, your state is known for water, right? I mean, there's so many lakes, so many rivers, so many streams. Um, yeah. What kind of trout are you fishing for? You got browns, rainbows, brookies, all of the above. What do you, what, what do you tar- all, target? All, all the above. Yeah, um, we do. We do have all the above. One of my favorites is like I can drive to this little stream that's only 30 minutes um, from Minneapolis and catch. There's been browns caught out there that are, you know, upwards of 26 inches Wow! in these little streams. They're few and far between on that river. Mm-hmm. You're mostly catching these like 12 or 13 inch browns. But there's not that much, you know, aquatic insects life on it. Um, they're eating a lot of leeches and a lot of little you know, little bait fish minnows, that sort of thing. So you only throw streamers on that river and it's just super fun. Um, I'd say chasing browns is probably one of my favorite things to do if I'm staying close or fishing the driftless. Um, but my all-time favorite thing, I think, is, you know, chasing the steelhead on the Great Lakes trips. It's, there's nothing like it. It's so fun. What is that steelhead season in, in the fall that you're talking about? What like uh, What's that time frame? Basically, they run um, usually the, at the earliest. Like, browns will start coming in in like eh, mid August, end of August, you know, September. Mm-hmm. Um, steelhead will start coming in too. Then you have, but you have the kings, cohos, and browns kind of coming in first. And then the steelhead, they really come in pretty hard um, in October, November. Um, and they actually hold over, the steelhead will hold over in the river. Um, all winter, but we have to stop fishing um, November 15th on the brule, and then it opens back up like the third weekend of March. Um, but the Lake Michigan trips, you can fish all year. Um, same with North Shore, but a lot of times um, they freeze over in the winter. So Yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense. But I mean, that- we, we fished, we fished uh, the Lake Michigan trips um, last spring like it was basically like february and they were starting to open up but it was pretty sketchy we were fishing on like this ice shelf on the river that was like 10 feet out in the river like three inches thick it was pretty sketchy but we caught some 
I it get, was sweet. I get nervous when the when the ice is less than three inches thick, and you start hearing that you know that ripple effect of those cracks. <laughs> it's like okay. Yeah, no, I was terrifying, and then we we hooked a fish finally, and it was like ran underneath the ice, basically like underneath our feet. And then we're like, well, shit, how do we net this thing? So we just like laid down. We're like, do you just crappie flop it up on the ice? No, we don't want to do that. So a buddy like laid down and reached as far as he could at the net and scooped it. But yeah, it was, it was scary. <laughs> you, know, you know what I did last year? You're going to laugh at this. I'm on this yeah. lake. It's like a 12 mile long lake and it's just flatter than flat. We're out there in my, uh, aluminum boat. I got like a, a nine, nine, uh, Honda on the back of it. And we're flying along, <laughs> we're trolling flies. And I'm like, I says to my buddy, I go, look over, look how flat it is out there. I'm like, wow. He's like, yeah, let's go check that out. So, so we go jetting out there. It was frozen. So the, the whole lake was thawed except for the <laughs> middle of the lake, which was frozen solid. All of a sudden, and the front of the boat is breaking ice, just like an iceberg. And then, of course, the fly line goes up, grabs the like an iceberg almost, like the three inches of ice, and just the rod's like going off. And I'm just <laughs> turn, turn around. Oh crap! That was so that was embarrassing, but it was like I, I'll never forget it. But yeah, that's flat, that's hilarious. <laughs> flat flat water is not always good water, you know, and especially yeah, when it's hard. That's what the water is looking like out here right now. The lake's just starting to freeze up. Well, you know um, what? You get to that little point, right, Josh, where it's just, you know, you go there in the morning and it thaws again. And But if you're there at the right time, it's starting to freeze up again. You don't really notice it. Yeah, and you get that eerie sound when it starts cracking or oh. if you throw a rock across it. Yeah. I, it's like I, super thin. <laughs> That's what we have now. But people are already ice fishing out here, um, up yeah. north at least. Yeah, same, well, same here, same here. Yeah, crazy. You got any crazy fish stories for me? Anything weird that's happened to you in your time on the water you could maybe uh, share with us tonight? Yeah. Um, I don't know. One that always kind of sticks out to me that is just funny. It's kind of stupid, but it was just funny at the time. Um, we were floating the lower Blue River in Colorado. Have you heard of it before? Mm-hmm. Sure have. So, yeah, it's like the Dow Jones property. They call it the guy you know, owns 14 miles of river and it's, you can only float it. It's super, uh, strict on, uh, you know, private property. You can't even drop an anchor yeah. or like touch an oar to the side. Um, but we are floating that and the guy pellet feeds these fish. Yeah, and heard, so they call it. <laughs> yeah. And they, they just get stupid big. Like it's so funny the size of these bows and we call it the pellet hatch when it goes off one of the, like the caretakers or ranchers or whatever will go up on one of their walking bridges and dump these like, you know, 30 pound bags of dog food, whatever it is, fish pellets in the river. And you're floating down it. We call it the pellet hatch. And all of a sudden, like these fish just start rising everywhere. These 30 inch, you know, 10 pound rainbows and browns. And it's just insane. So we tied, um, some, some pellet flies, um, out of, uh, some foam cylinders right and we for this is the first time we're doing it and my buddy was nymphing at the time um and he ends up snagging this fish in the tail and the fish was like eating just constantly sipping on the top water for these pellets that were coming down and it was like kind of the first time we really saw this we're like oh my god this is so stupid like what what is this place 
and he snags it in the tail, and then the fish doesn't even realize he snagged in the tail, and he just kept sitting there eating pellets. So my buddy hands me his rod that's hooked into the tail. I hand him my rod who had a pellet fly on it. He casts it out, and it was like second drift past it. The thing eats the pellet fly, and then we have it hooked in the tail and the mouth. No. And I'm like, and I'm like, no, shit, what do we do now? Like, I, we didn't plan this out. Like, what, what are we supposed to do now? So I start roll casting at the thing, and I actually got the hook out, like, second try of his tail. And then my buddy started fighting it for, you know, another 10 minutes. We ended up losing the fish, but it was just, like, a hilarious moment. That is too uh, crazy to be true, man. That's... <laughs> Yeah, it was funny. It was so funny. Like we were just like we were crying. We were laughing so hard. Um, that is amazing. And you know, it's funny because I had a guide on from that stretch of river, and he told me not that story, but some 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 crazy crazy stories about about how big those fish got and how you know it's somebody I forget what did you call it the the Wall Street what did you call it? Oh, it's the Dow Jones. Dow Jones. Yeah, some, some dude is affiliated with that. I don't know who the hell it is, but the property is insane. Like it's yeah. really nice. He's got his own biologist, and it's crazy. Yeah, well, and and apparently the fish just get giant. And and I think the gentleman I had on explained that you you're not allowed to basically you, basically you own the rocks if you own the the property on the bottom of the river, so you're yeah. not allowed to anchor. Is that is that accurate? Yeah. Oh yeah. I've I've never had it happen personally. Like, but I've heard people like getting, um, you know, trespassing tickets at the takeout sort of thing. I've never had it happen personally. We're always just super careful about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't even bring the anchor, you know, and you just float through it. And he does some cool stuff, though. He does the uh, the Wounded Warriors project. He lets them come out on his property. Um, and I've had some buddies who guide, you know, got to wade fish the property with some some of the veterans. So. It's it's cool what he's doing, I think, for the most part, but it's just a strange, a very strange place. It's, it sounds, it sounds pretty wild, and that's that's it's one. Fun, of, though. That's one of the best crazy stories I've heard in a long time. The uh, the the whole river itself, though, I love the lower blue. It's like just the rafting it in general is like kind of gnarly because you go through basically like two canyons that are class three or four rapids and then they shoot you into these weirs that are anywhere from you know two to six feet tall you're dropping all these irrigation weirs Mm. Uh, and there's probably 20 of them on the whole float and the whole thing is just awesome it's it's a good time well i think uh the fellow i had on was explaining to me how some of those big pellet fed fish kind of get off the ranch at some point you know and and all of a sudden you're fishing a a normal stretch of water and you're into like a, a 15 pound pig yeah it's so funny it's like <laughs> they yeah. make it down to the public section where you can wade fish below we've had some buddies yeah. you know hook up down there but it's you when you're going through the main part of the ranch there and that pellet hatch goes off if you're on a day where they feed them it's just insane how many fish there are and like the size too it's yeah. it's crazy that's nuts if there's something um you'd like to see us do differently as fly fishers. I always like to ask this question as far as, um, you know, philosophically, is there something we do that you think we could do better or something that kind of irks you about, about fly fishing? Um, I guess, I don't know, not really. The only thing I could think of is like, um, this like improper fish handling kind of drives me nuts when I see it. Um, you know, especially with trout, 
um, it's just hard to watch sometimes. You know, you're like, oh, why are you gilling that fish right now? You know, it's super unnecessary. Right. Uh, you know, and I saw this video today, actually, that was crazy. I don't know. It's been out for a while. I don't know if you've seen it, but it was talking about like the like a fish handling like a cotton glove. Right. And it was like a brook trout and they had it like in this tank and they had the, you know, the uh, cotton glove on its tail. Like, yeah, swam away just fine. Right. And they filmed the fish every day. And then like day 10, right where the finger marks were from holding it with the glove on the tail from removing the fish slime, it was like deteriorating, uh. um, which was like just crazy. Cause, like you see people with gloves all the time. It's like, is that the right thing to do? And I saw that video. I was like, that's the worst thing you could do. Yeah. You know, let alone, I mean, unless you're gilling a fish, I guess that'd be pretty bad too. But, you know, I, I think that's the one thing I would change is maybe just somehow informing more people about how to better handle fish. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Keep them wet is really good for that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's fair comment. So, you know, let's, Let's. Is there anything we haven't covered that you want to cover about Larry the Lunker or any of your uh, boarding or fishing you've been up to lately? Or we kind of got the bases covered tonight. I think you got you know the gist of it. I'm just yeah. I'm just uh, just trying to keep fishing, I guess. <laughs> well, I I love what you're up to, and uh, I wish you a, a great uh, season of snowboard coaching and snowboarding, personal wise, and um, hopefully you uh, get some great patterns whipped off at the vice and uh and next year things kind of straighten up a little bit and you get your guide service uh going full on that sounds like a, yeah like a pretty good i plan. hope so yeah i was supposed to be guiding in alaska this year but uh okay it got canceled because of covid so that was a bummer right well but maybe your, next year yeah for sure and your your side hustle with larry the lunker uh, check out Larry the Lunker on Instagram. We've been chatting tonight with Josh Besser. Now, Josh is out of Minneapolis. He has a guide service, uh, ties a lot of flies. Look him up on Instagram under Larry the Lunker. Thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. Really, uh, really awesome for you to have me on the show. It was, it was a good time. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.